Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good evening. After that introduction, it is my joy to lower all your expectations. <laughs> all of them, all of them. Um, Femi is far too kind to me. Thank you, brother, for your generous hospitality to me. And City Church Lagos, you people have a hospitality and warmth about you that is very endearing. I have literally been pampered since I got here. I told my wife, why don't we come? Uh, I'm sure they can take one more Kenyan in Lagos. Um, so again, thank you so much for having me. I consider it a privilege and a joy to be with you today. And I consider it a privilege and a joy to break God's word um, with you. So if you have your Bibles, would you please switch them on to <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we are going to be hanging out today in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 16, Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I wonder, have you ever participated in a three-legged race? It is this very strange game where they take you and tie you to two or three other people. And the plan is they give you like 30 or 40 meters to run, and you run and you win like bragging rights or whatever. You win something. So um, I'd never really played this game and I was being introduced to this game at the time I was like fresh out of high school and they tie me to people who I considered <clears throat> a little slower than myself um, because I, was, I used to be a winger for the rugby team. So in my head I'm going, I know how to win this game, just run quickly and make these guys catch up with me. And we were playing this game on a cow farm. Right? So it's my team, three of us, and another team, and another team, and it's like, on your mark, set, go. And what does Christian do? He's out. Great sense of urgency to win. Now, what do you think happened once I started running faster than everyone else? They started falling. The problem with falling on a cow farm <laughs> is as you are falling and noticing the ground rapidly coming to you, you're thinking, I don't think that's mud. But before you can finish the thought, splat. So here we are all covered in cow dung. And my team is looking at me like, thanks, dude. Thanks. You had one job. I had a great sense of urgency to win the race. What I needed was a great sense of urgency to be one with my team. Had I been so, we would have actually won the race. In the text of scripture we are about to read, I hope you see that. That what Paul is urging our churches to do is have a great sense of urgency to be one. And what I hope we see is that if we have this great sense of urgency to be united, to be one, then we can have missional effectiveness as a weak but united church. We can actually be effective in the mission of God. Amen. Even though we are weak, if we are united, yeah. we can be effective. Wow. So Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1. I will read verse 1 to 16 and say, This is the word of the Lord, and you will respond by saying, Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, sorry, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who ascended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Would you help me step out of your way? Would you speak to me and speak through me to the end that our lives may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Forbid it, Lord, that anyone except you should get glory at this time. And so now, Lord, what we do not have, please give us through your word. What we do not know, please teach us through your word. And what we are not, please make us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're looking for mental handles, so to speak, <clears throat> of how God is going to use this weak but united church to achieve his mission, if you're thinking of mental handles to think how this weak, dinky little thing called your own local church and my own local church that you are a member of, because the Bible has no understanding of a Christian who's not a member of a local church, any more than you have an understanding of a husband who doesn't have a wife. <laughs> It just doesn't exist in the Bible. It's like dry rain. <laughs> the three mental handles that you're thinking through to understand this text of how God uses these weak, dinky little churches of ours to be effective is number one, he gives us a sense of urgency to be united in one walk. Number two, to do it as one body. Number three, to do it for one goal. One walk, one body, one goal. He wants us to have a sense of urgency about being united around those three things. Then we will be effective, even though we are weak. Okay? So let's just dive right in. Number one, one walk. God urges us to one united walk, a walk that is worthy of our salvation. So Ephesians 4 verse 1, 
I therefore, pause. Whenever you see therefore in the scripture, we have to ask wherefore that therefore is therefore. <laughs> I therefore, he's going all the way back to the first three chapters of Ephesians. The first three chapters are about God's mighty salvation for us through Christ. The next three chapters about how we should walk as those who have been saved by Christ. The first three chapters have to do with who we are in Christ. The next three chapters have to do with how we live as Christians. The first three chapters have to do with what we should believe. The next three chapters how we should behave. Paul is saying, I am imprisoned for preaching this, the message that we are such a weak people. We had to be saved by God who came for us, chapter 1. That we have been selected by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. We were such a weak church that we had to be saved by grace through faith. For it is by that you have been saved. Right? That's chapter 2 of Ephesians. That's how weak we were. That God had to give us the very faith and repentance we needed to believe in him and turn away from sin. We were so weak he had to bring us to life or nothing was going to happen. We were so weak that by the time he's getting in chapter 3, he's saying God is using us to display his glory. Chapter 3 verse 10, that in a theater of his own choosing, God is using your local church to display his manifold wisdom to the powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That this weak little thing, God is using that. And Paul now says, in view of that salvation, that I am currently a prisoner of, because he's a prisoner of the Lord, not for something he's done. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 1, hearkening back to chapter 3, verse 1, where he says he's a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles. He as a prisoner of the Lord. He says this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received. That word urge literally means I beg. Nigerians. I plead. I appeal. You think about this guy. He's the great Apostle Paul, author of over half the New Testament, carrying all this apostolic authority, and he says, I beg. I urge you. I plead with you. Walk in a manner worthy of the salvation you have received in view of all that he's done for you as a local church and throughout our time together try and i know it's hard try and remove the individualistic lenses we all have and put on communal lenses the you there is the church it's not just me because remember jesus christ didn't just die for persons he died for our people as the hymn says, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. That's talking about the church. Your local church. My local church. And so he says, walk in a manner worthy of that salvation that you have been called to. And at that point you can almost hear the Ephesians lean in and say, Paul, that's fantastic. Uh, just one question. Uh, <clears throat> how? It's great. We, we get that. We're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the salvation we've been saved with. This mighty outstretched hand of God that is a new exodus. How do I do that, Paul? Thankfully, Paul is a spectacular pastor. And he just doesn't tell us what we should do. He tells us how we should do it. Speaking and writing under the authority of scripture. What he then does is say, if we are going to have a sense of urgency to walk as 
one walk and that is worthy of God, here's how we're going to do it. We need three attitudes and one action. Three attitudes and one action in the text. The three attitudes, humility, gentleness, patience. The action, to bear with one another. The attitude, humility, it's a recognition of the worth and value of other people coupled with a desire to serve them for the glory of God. That's humility. Next, gentleness. But actually, while we are still on that one of humility, that's Jesus, right? Philippians 2, that being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant. That's Matthew eleven twenty nine. The place Jesus talks about his own heart, he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. To be humble is really to be like Christ's heart. Then he says, not only that attitude of humility, but also gentleness. Coupled with humility is this idea of gentleness. Gentleness, sometimes called meekness, is not weakness. It's strength under control. Yeah. It is strength that is channeled in kind and empathetic ways to help others. It is a sense of not trying to grasp at my own rights, but give others what they need. The attitude, that sense of urgency, humility, gentleness, and we see why the two have to come together, right? Nothing destroys unity in a church quite as fast as pride and arrogance. Nothing builds unity in a church quite as fast as humility and gentleness. And along with that, he says, your third attitude, patience. The older word for that is long-suffering, which means suffering for a long time. <laughs> That's all it is. I, sorry. <laughs> it's forbearance. It's this idea of making room for other people's sins, but you suffer through their sins. You make room for them. In other words, you're not quick to rebuke. And we are not quick to rebuke with each other. Which is why... If we put on humility, gentleness, and patience, or forbearance, what's the action he says? Bear with one another. Right? In other words, actually do it. And he says don't just bear with one another, because bearing, bearing with one another is easy. It's easy to put up with almost anything. But he says bear with one another. What are the next two words? Ah, in love. As you bear with them, as we bear with each other, making room for each other's sins, we still seek each other's highest good in Christ. Which is the definition of love? It is seeking someone else's good in Christ. When these things come together, look at the next thing he says. We have these three attitudes and this one action, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That word eager has a sense of urgency. In other words, rush to do this. In the Bible, rushing is generally not a good thing. Being in a hurry is not a good thing. But it's almost like Paul is saying, if you're going to be in a hurry to do one thing, be in a hurry to do this, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. In other words, this unity of the Spirit, you already have it. It is something that when God saved us, he already gave us his Spirit. Who is the Spirit of unity? We already have it within us to want to be a united body of Christ. It's in there. So Paul is not saying, be eager to attain the unity of the Spirit. He says, be eager to... Maintain it. When I was a kid, my mom used to call all of us together in the sitting room and say, my wonderful children, God has given you good teeth. Now maintain them by brushing them. <laughs> right? The teeth are already there. Now, you do the hard work of making sure that things are maintained in your mouth. In the same way, God's Holy Spirit is already working unity in his church. We need to maintain that. 
And that little word maintain means it's going to be a lot of hard work for a very long time. Okay, let's be honest. It's going to be a lot of hard work for the rest of our lives. Because the rest of our lives we are going to be in a local church. So as long as we are members of said local church, we do the hard work of having an attitude of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, that we maintain this unity. And what happens when we struggle to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Check out verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The result is peace. Think about it. If everyone is being humble toward each other, gentle toward each other, looking for ways to serve each other, making room for others' weaknesses and shortcomings, speaking the truth in love to each other, helping them still get better at following Christ. What you produce is peace. Perfect peace? No. Remarkable peace? Yes. And it becomes a bond that unites us so that there are not kind of these results for one group of people and another group of people within the church. All of us are doing this with each other, and the result is remarkable peace. Not natural peace, but a supernatural peace. When I was, um, when I just gotten married, uh, you know, married my wife, it was wonderful. We went for honeymoon uh, for like about a week and a half or two weeks or something. Then we came back home, and both my wife and I love yogurt. Okay. She likes like this natural yogurt. I like flavored yogurt, vanilla or strawberry or whatever. So I bought yogurt for her and yogurt for me. I drank my yogurt and then I was like still wanting some more yogurt. So I was like, hey, there's hers. So I'm grabbing the yogurt, right? And I'm about to drink it. And she sees me and she's like, eh, eh. She takes it out of my hand. She's like, that's my yogurt, not yours. And I was upset. I was mad, eh? I, you know that anger that can't be expressed in English? <laughs> Forget this, this very decent, oh, I happen to be upset. No, no, no. <laughs> I was mad. Because I'm thinking, less than two weeks ago, you stood before God and people, and you said, everything I have, I share with you. Now you can't even share your yogurt with me. And I'm stuck with you for life. I was mad. For like a day and a half, no one was talking to each other, except in like monosyllabic, you know, sounds. How are you? Fine. <laughs> Where the keys? There. And you know the way, the way us Africans don't even point, we point to our lips. They're there. <laughs> I mean, I was just a shining example of Christian maturity and leadership. Right? So for like a day and a half, no one is talking in the house. Eh? Then eventually we reconcile. I would like to say that I am the one who, like Jesus, initiated the reconciliation. <laughs> But that would be inaccurate. <laughs> Eventually we reconcile, and I remember thinking to myself, Christian, you're ridiculous. <laughs> Yogurt. <laughs> how, do you even, how do you explain this to your friends? <laughs> what did you fight about? <laughs> you're ridiculous. <laughs> but yoga wasn't the problem, was it? The problem was, instead of looking for excuses to serve my wife, I was looking for excuses to serve myself. Instead of not grasping at my rights and serving her and putting on an attitude that wants to consider her preferentially, I made this house about me. In much the same way, 
if we are not united as a church, we will have silly fights about things like yogurt. We will have silly fights about our own preferences instead of being suspicious of our own preferences. Instead of preferring others, we will want them to prefer us. Instead of being slow to rebuke, we will be quick to rebuke instead of being quick to pray. But the opposite is true, guys. When we are humble toward each other, gentle, patient, forbearing, eager to maintain the unity that God has already worked in us, when we are looking for excuses to serve each other, that church looks like John 13, 34 to 35. Remember what Jesus said there? A new, man, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By, by what? This, how a church loves each other. Shall all men know that you're my? So who's the evangelist in that verse? The local church. It's a weak, dinky little thing, your local church. But your local church and my local church is a display of the gospel. You see, when you and I proclaim the gospel, we make the gospel audible, right? And the world gets saved by that when we proclaim the gospel. But when we love each other as a church, we make the gospel visible. What the unbeliever sees is, oh, that's what Jesus looks like. Ah, not just you being a really nice person out in society. Eh -eh. According to Jesus, it is when a church does this. How you act as a member of your local church is massive in whether the mission will be believed or not. Because think about it. If your church is a bunch of people who, like Femi, was kind when he said there are some sinners in his church, well, in my church, they are all sinners. So, <laughs> if in your church people are fighting with each other, gossiping about each other, backbiting each other, all sleeping with each other, and me, I'm an unbeliever, and in my pseudo community, people are fighting with each other, gossiping with each other, backbiting each other, sleeping with each other. You know what I'll tell you? You know, at least us guys, at the end of doing all that, you can go have a drink. You guys can't. <laughs> what your church is telling me is that your God is fake. That's what he's telling me. So us being united as a church is saying, hey, hey, our God is real. It's real. And that confuses the unbeliever. When he sees a Tswana and an American loving each other like that, he's like, what's wrong with you people? When he sees a man and a woman loving each other in holiness, he's like, huh? Well, how that happened? I thought there's only one purpose for a man and a woman to love each other. When he sees us inconvenience ourselves for each other, for example, one of the members of Femi's church is loving another member of his church by helping him learn how to code for computer so that he may advance in life. That makes no sense to an unbeliever, so much so that they'll ask, who is this God of yours? Yeah. Ah, now I can make the gospel audible. And Christ will save. Do you see? Do not divorce, do not divorce your life in the local church from the mission of God. Yeah. Worse yet, do not divorce the whole local church from the mission. It is the church that will achieve that mission. Jesus didn't leave parachurch organizations. He left a church. Thank God for parachurch organizations. I'm part of one. But what he left, the eternal entity he left to get this work done was us, the local church. We can not only recognize this, we can rejoice that not only have we been called to this, we have been empowered to do it. 
Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. That's the cool thing about God. He gives us a command and he gives us the ability to do it. Like John Bunyan said, run, John, run, the Lord commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's why he left his spirit with us. That this mission would be achieved. So let me, let me press in on you and myself. Who do you need to be humble to in your local church come Sunday? Better yet, who do you need to reconcile with before Sunday? Who do you need to say with, you know what, I'm not being a good representative of Christ to a watching world? Because that's who we, we are a city on a hill, man. There's no way to hide that. We are all being watched, whether we are aware of it or not. And, and we don't get to say, but you know, there are some good Christians. Femi is a good one. There, that's great. But that whole church over there acts like Satan. So good for him. I forget the church. That's what an unbeliever would say, right? So who do we need to reconcile with right now? Be humble toward, be gentle toward. Because we don't have time to be fighting with each other when people are dying and going to hell. What we need to do is what Paul is urging us to do. To walk in a manner worthy of this salvation so that it's a visible salvation to believer and unbeliever alike. That's our one walk. But we've also been called to one body. Check out verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's the most repeated word there? One. One. We are one body. Right? And because we are one body, it's, it's basically Paul is saying, be one because you're one. Right? Be one because you're, it's like watching a couple fight. You tell them essentially, at the end of whatever counsel you give them, you know what you need to be? Be one. Why? Because you're one. And so let's go down this list. He says there is one body, a reference to his body, the church that Jesus died for, the church that is his body, and one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. Every single believer of Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, by the Holy Spirit we call him Abba, Father. And no one can call him father without the Holy Spirit. Just as you are called to one hope. The scriptures tend to use that word hope in reference to the return of Christ. That what we are waiting for is all the same thing. We are all waiting for Christ to return. But the other sense in which scripture uses that word hope is not just the return of Christ, but what Christ is doing in us now. That how can I have hope in the mess that I am in now? Because I know God is changing me. I know I'm going to die a more mature Christian than I am right now. Will it be a wonderful straight graph? No, it will go more like this. But we will get there. He will bring us safely home. That's my hope. That in this life God is changing me and I'm waiting for him in the next. Our one hope that belongs to our call. In other words, our salvation. We have one Lord. Jesus Christ is our only king, our only master. This is the most political statement you can make anywhere. That I have politicians and presidents, but my king is Jesus. One faith, and I think there's a double entendre there, there's a double meaning. One faith, in other words, we only came into this local church by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way we are saved, by grace alone, through faith 
alone, turning away from our sin and trusting in him. But one faith in the sense that the faith, Jude 3, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The faith that everyone has believed in the first century to the 21st century and that will be believed until Christ returns. We are not a different branch of Christians. There's just one stream of Christians. There's just one long church over history. There's one baptism. We have all been, again, I think there's a double entendre there, we've all been baptized, identified with, immersed in the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we have him. And one baptism, those of us who have believed in Christ are baptized in him. One God and Father over all. All of us are God's children. He doesn't have any grandchildren. Every believer is a child of God who is over all and through all and in all. Notice how the entire Godhead is in on this? Yes. Father, Son, Spirit, the whole Godhead is in on this. Which is why <laughs> our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? And He's one. As He is one, we are to be one. Our unity reflects God's own unity. He's not confused and fighting and fussing. We are not to be confused and fighting and fussing. Yes, I know, we will do all of those things in this life. But the point here is our unity, our oneness is to reflect his own. So when we are not being one, what are we telling the world? Our God is confused. Our God kind of bickers and fights. Or at the very least doesn't care about his kids. And that's just not true. Now to be clear... Just because we are one does not mean we are the same. God has never been interested in uniformity. He's always interested in unity. And the only way you can have unity is if you have diversity. <laughs> That's the only way to have unity. Different things working together. That's the only way you get unity. They're not the same. And that's where he goes. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Now, that, that can feel like a, a bit of a confusing section of scripture. Here's, here's what's going on. Paul is quoting Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, what the psalmist was rejoicing about is that look how God delivered us out of Egypt into the promised land. And how he did it is he gave us gifts. He gave us everything we needed to survive in the promised land. Paul is saying there is a much greater deliverance that has happened. That this God took us out of the kingdom of darkness, led us into the kingdom of light and gave each one of us Gifts. He gave us everything he needed, everything the church needed. Now, how did he do that? Ah, by dying and rising again. He did that by descending from heaven, living, dying, descending into the lower regions of the earth in death, uh, rising and ascending, and by his spirit has given gifts to every single member of your church and my church. Different ones. That's why it's to each one. He has given these gifts. And then verse 11 happens, and we are like, are we still talking about the gifts? Answer, yeah. Look at verse 11, which I'm sure is a well-known verse. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. He gave. 
the gifts are people. <laughs> the gifts are these people given to his church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers. And then he says, these people he gave to equip the saints for work of ministry. Now before we get there, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, shepherds, who are these? So Ephesians 2.20 would say that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And he gave these people for the building of the church. So these people are the foundation. And Ephesians 2.20 says they are not only the foundation, they themselves, like Pastor Femi said, are on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Right? So Christ and his apostles and prophets make the foundation. Right? Now, how many foundations does this building have? It's not a trick question, I promise. <laughs> how many foundations does this building have? Ah, one. The same is true of the church. She has a foundation, which is Christ, the apostles and prophets, and what they left us with was this, the very word of God. This is our foundation. That's why we don't build a foundation and then build it again on the third floor and then build it again on the fifth floor. So these apostles and prophets were the foundation, which is why I would argue I don't think there's anyone in the world right now walking around like Paul. Paul said the last of the apostles. I don't think there's anyone walking in the world right now like Isaiah. Now that does not mean God can't speak to you. Don't hear me say that. Don't hear me say that the gifts have ceased. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this matters because we have to ask what our foundation is. Amen. And ultimately, yeah. it's right here. It's God's word. But these people were given, so that's apostles and, and prophets. Then there's this third one called the evangelists. If I'm honest, I'm not sure what to do with that one. <laughs> I suspect, though, that it's not Billy Graham. <laughs> this was being written 1,900 years before Billy Graham was born. So I suspect it's not him. I suspect that it's like Philip, who was called an evangelist in Acts. That people who, together with the apostles and prophets, go to a place that has never heard the gospel and become part of the foundation of the church there. But pastor teachers or shepherds that continues we know that because in first timothy there's a whole prescriptive list given of what they should be like same thing repeats itself in titus right so these gifts called shepherds are given to the church for the purpose of verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ so here's the picture god give, gives gifts to his church. He gives us these shepherds, these pastors. He gives us Femi in this little local church of ours that can be a display of the gospel. And then he gives different ones of us different gifts, right? And all of those things are supposed to work in concert for what purpose? For building up the body, right? So imagine, if you will, that you are the master of an orchestra. So there's a wind section or a horn section. There's a percussion section, drums and stuff. Then there's a piano section. And you guys decide you're going to do Handel's Messiah. It's in 4-4 time or something. And you say, okay, it's in 4-4 time. You click. One, two, three, four. And just as you're about to start, the drum section decides we are going to do Ambad by Michael Jackson. <laughs> the piano section decides we are going to do Halo by Beyonce. 
<laughs> and the wind section decides we're going to do I'm the man by Alo Black. Don't ask me how I know who these people are. <laughs> I hear it from young people. <laughs> the point is, they start doing their own thing, right? What are, how are you going to respond? Oh, that's so wonderful. You have so much initiative. You're going to tell them, stop. Stop it. That's noise. We already have a sheet in front of us. Follow the music sheet. All of us are doing the same thing. We don't have to be the same thing. We are not all pianos. We are not all drums. We don't all have the gift of mercy. We don't all have the gift of helps. We don't all have the gift of leadership. Do you see? But we are all trying to achieve the same thing. And that thing, according to scripture, is this. The building up of the body of Christ. These gifts are given so that the body may be built. Until what happens? Until we attain to the unity. There's that word again. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It seems in the first century and in the 21st century, there were people trying to con connive and con and be crafty with the church and maybe make some money from them. Nigerians have no idea what that's about. <laughs> have wonderful people never trying to confuse the church. It appears, it appears that these people were trying to con the church. So why God gave these gifts called teachers was so that they would grow in two things, knowledge and character. He gave them, look at what it says, that they would attain unity of the faith, a proper understanding of the faith and knowledge, something they know with their heads, of who? Of the Son of God. That that thing that they know more than anything else is the Son of God. And that's the gospel. It is centered around the Son of God sent by the Father to ransom sinners that they may be saved. That's the essence of the gospel. And look, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, let me talk to you for a sec. Because I will not assume in a room this large, everyone is a believer. In fact, I will assume you're here for a couple of reasons. Either you think the girl who invited you will like you more and then go out on a date with you. <laughs> or you're a really good cultural Christian who was born a Christian. Let me tell you something about these people you're looking at. If you're walking around thinking they're really weird, that's because they are. If you're walking around thinking, why do these people treat each other like siblings? That's because they are. In fact, they have more in common with each other as spiritual eternal siblings than they do with their unsaved natural siblings. And the reason they invited you here is because they want you to be their sibling. How's that gonna happen? Ah, glad you asked. That's gonna happen by you realizing 
you are loved by a holy God. That long before you decided what you're going to do with God, he decided what he's going to do with you. And that was to send his son to live a perfect life and die a criminal's death on your behalf. But why would he die a criminal's death on my behalf? Because you are the criminal. You have broken every single one of God's laws. You have spat in his face. And you might think, but hell is a very harsh punishment for one little lie I told when I was six. Well, let's do a small test. If I walk up to One and slap him across the face, what do you think One is going to do to me? Slap me, but you guys don't think Pastor One will pray like, oh, uh, we thank you for... <laughs> okay, now if I come to you and I'm crying, I'm like, hey, your owner slapped me. And you ask me, oh, shame. Why did he slap you? It's because I slapped him. Well, ah, uh, what did you expect? Okay, if I walk up to President Buhari and slap him across the face. Wow. I'm glad I'm a Kenyan at this point. <laughs> Actually, I'm not. I'm on different soil. I might get stuck here if I did that. <laughs> Quick question, though. Why is the punishment changing? Because of who I hate. My dear unbelieving friend, you slapped an eternal God in the face. What you deserve is eternal punishment. But God, who is rich in mercy, refused to treat you as your sins deserve. Right? God was so holy, he demanded a sacrifice for sin. But he was so loving, he provided the sacrifice for sin. God was so righteous and good that he will not let you get away with breaking his laws against his majesty. But he was so gracious that the wisdom of God made a way for the love of God to pardon you, the sinner against God, that you might become a child of God and a sibling with these people. If you're wondering how to become part of this family, that's how. You turn away from your sin, recognizing you're a sinner, and trust in the only sacrifice that will save you. Jesus Christ. Your good works will not help. You singing in the choir will not help. You're saved by trusting in him and turning away from your sin. And what happens after that is we offer ourselves to you as an eternal family. Do you see how that works in mission? Every human being has a deep need for community. And they form communities that are all dysfunctional. The idea is that when they come into your local church, they will finally realize, ah, this is the community I was created for. A weak church, yes, but a united church is unstoppable. How do I know that? Because Revelation tells me so. A spiritually diverse church, different people, built up in the faith, they are no longer tossed about by cunning because they have been well taught and well helped in their character. Then look at verse 16. I beg your pardon, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Pause. 
Earlier, who was speaking? Who was the people, who are the gifts that are speaking and teaching? <coughs> Pastors. Now who is the one speaking the truth in love? The church. They've been well taught, they've been well discipled, and now they're discipling each other. They are speaking the truth to each other in love. They say truth without love is harsh, and love without truth is seduction. But truth with love is life-giving. That's our God. God is love. I am the way, the truth, life-giving. They're now speaking the truth in love to each other, and that we, the church, grows up in every way into him who is the head, who is like Christ. They start looking like, feeling like, acting like, being moved by the same things that move Jesus Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. So that it... Okay, so according to this verse, who is building the church? The church itself. According to Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my... So who is building the church? Is Jesus building the church? Is the church building itself up? Which one is it? Yes. Has to be both. It is Christ working in us, for us, around us, despite us. And then we start working with each other. Loving each other. And we make him known just by that act. So brother and sister, have you ever viewed what you do as a member of the church, as part of your mission, as part of something that could quite literally save the ends of the earth. I have the massive privilege of serving in a church that has 83 different passport holders. In that church, I see that Filipinos who love karaoke, I don't know why it's a, a Filipino thing, it's a Filipino thing, man. <laughs> and I see the Indians like, <laughs> all of them, and I love it. And I see the Africans, when I say Africans, 90% of them Nigerians, then 10%, <laughs> everyone else. And you know what I see? I see something that makes no sense to this world. But I also see so many people from those original countries ask, why are you acting like that with those people? Why are you acting like that with those people? Yeah, they're building each other up, and the result is they're displaying Christ. That display is bringing people to himself. This is part of our mission. It's part of yours and my mission. And if you're here thinking, but you know, I'm a mess, I'm a baby Christian, I'm not sure what I need to do. Just think of the two guys who fell down a pit latrine, then they crawled up, and one guy asked the other guy, do I look as bad as you smell? <laughs> the only people in your local church smell. But they're a different kind of stink. They have the stink of life of Christ. Even though they sin. And if, if you're wondering, oh, but I'm a bit of a hypocrite, or you're trying to invite someone to church, and they're thinking, ah, I have, <laughs> I have one relative who tells me, I can't go to church, there are too many hypocrites and snakes. To which I responded to her, ah, don't let that stop you. There's always room for one more. Come, just, <laughs> slither. just come, slither in, just come. Because we've never ever claimed 
We have never ever claimed to be anything other than a church in the middle of its sanctification. That's all we are. So, couple, couple of questions. Couple of questions as we close. Number one, are you a, spect a spectator of the church or are you an expert player in the church? Here's a hint. The church has no spectators. We are all players. I'm not much of a football fan. There are some people here who like Arsenal. <laughs> and what I love about watching these people who watch football, they always have running commentaries when the game is being played. If they passed the ball more, they would have won the game. If they scored more goals, they would have won the game. Well, yes. <laughs> and then they bring expert players, people who've actually played the game at a professional level, and it's like chalk and cheese, right? Because those people are in it. They don't have time to criticize. They are in it. And they understand. As expert players, our job is to love one another as one body. Love one another in one walk. Love one another with one goal. The building up of this church that it looks like Christ. So are you an expert player? Or do you sit around spectating and criticizing everyone else in your local church? Because that's a horrible witness to a world that is dying. The second question. What's going on in your heart about the church? Because we have a way of denigrating the local church. Saying, that's not important. Let me talk to us missional types. And I am first on that list. I'm not judging anyone here. Who want to see unbelievers come to the Lord. We make it, we make it sound like that church is slowing us down. She's boring. May I remind you, the church is Christ's bride, the wife of Christ. If I walked up to Pastor Jeremiah and I said, hey, I want you and I to be friends, man. I want us to be best friends. I hate your wife. But you and I, you think he's going to talk to me after that? Oh, but we can do that with Jesus' bride. This is his body and his bride. So what's going on in your heart concerning her? Because she's the one who will achieve mission. Not you and me. Not persons, but a people. Two more questions. How are you using the gifts God has given you to serve your church? Because scripture says he gave to each one of us gifts. So that that church may display Christ and get on mission. So how are you using those gifts he's given you? Maybe you don't know what gifts he's given you. May I just suggest don't go to the internet for a spiritual gifts inventory. That's not it's going to be a bad move. How about instead of that, you go to your pastors and ask, hey, where can I serve? Ask other believers, what have you guys noticed in me? Is there a place I can be of use in this body? And then, try something. Go check out the children's ministry. And after you get a cold, you realize that's not for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. But the point is, you're actually doing something. Actually useful in this family. Don't sit around waiting everyone else to serve for everyone else to serve you. Right? I double dog dare you. Show up to church 10 minutes early on Sunday. And then tell your pastors, put me to work. Ah, now you're telling me something very different about what you think about this family. You actually want to serve her. You actually want to serve her. And don't think of your spiritual gift as being, needing, being some big dramatic thing. No. Sometimes your gift is taking a cold cup of water to the pastor after he's preached. 
Sometimes your gift is opening up your home and just giving them tea and bread because that's all you have. Sometimes your gift is sending someone an encouraging text and saying, hey, the Lord reminded me about you today. I just want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? Ah, that's unity happening. That thing is starting to build itself up. That thing is starting to look like Christ. And unbelievers will be like, I wish someone would text me as well. I have needs. I wish someone would pray for me as well. Ah, your mission. Last question. Will we so invest our lives in the church that it becomes the social center of our lives? And by social center, what I mean is because these people get me at a far deeper level than any of my workmates or schoolmates, let me invest in these lives so hard, so hard, that what they start displaying is not just my investment, but I become a conduit of everything that Christ has invested in me, that I give and receive, that in this social center where I have elders, that I can be vulnerable with them, not just transparent. The difference is transparent, you can see what's happening. Vulnerable, I open the door and let you in. Let them in. Make that the social center. And you will be shocked what the Spirit of God, using the people of God, will do in achieving the mission of God. Is Jesus building his church? Is the church building itself? Which one is it? For listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.